with, in the beginning of the show, Nancy J. Spotten, the CEO founder of MPWR, is joining us and she's telling us about how to let your heart sing. Nancy, thank you for joining us and welcome. How are you? I'm fantastic. I am excited to connect and tell stories. Oh, I love it. Um, I was talking to Dating that I, I, I love your, your tone about um, how you are curious. Can you just tell us more about uh, curiosity and how important is that curiosity and listening deeply to yourself? Where does that fit in? I love your question. And in fact, what I realized about four years ago is that it is incredibly hard to ask good questions. And then when I started paying attention to being curious and how you become curious, Mm. I realized that very few people actually are really able to ask good questions. So Mm. I'm really impressed with your good questions because it is a talent and something that we have to practice and teach. Mm. Because what I've learned is when you ask good questions, as I'm sure you know Mm. from what you do in life, that Mm. you ask good questions and your life is richer Mm. because you listen to the answers. I hear the good question, but is there such a thing as a bad question where you might think, I think that's a stupid question. Is there such a thing as a bad question? (laughs) That's a good question. And yes, there's, you know, it's funny. I was just creating what I called a a communication continuum. And Mm. I thought there's a lot of people that speak at people. So they don't even get to a question. They just make statements at people. Mm. And then the second level, like if they're just a bit better than that, they ask silly questions. And I would define a silly question as being a closed question, something that they already know the answer to, but they're asking you anyway. Mm. The best questions are the questions that inspire thinking, inspire challenge, and inspire response just like your questions do with me. And um, a lot of the time we get caught up in the external world, of course, but um, looking internally is where we might find our answers. And what are the urges that we can focus on on the heart and soul? Some people may think that this isn't really just a philosophical and ideological uh, question, but the answers lie within. And, and I find that honest introspection is very difficult. How important is it to introspect and honestly so? Oh, I love where you're going and I love what you're thinking about, that it is very hard and very few people spend enough time with honest introspection. And in fact, I think that it's only because we're all so busy being busy that we don't actually spend time thinking about what we find joy in. And if you look at the data just about how unhappy a lot of people are at their job or, you know, even potentially in their life, how very few people actually spend time to understand what is the root cause of that unhappiness? What is the root cause of not being, not finding joy in what you do every day? Mm. And it, and it really, the starting point is a connection to you. The starting point is, what makes your heart sing? What makes your heart beat faster? Mm. Oprah Winfrey used to ask that question years mm. ago of people. What makes your heart sing? And I, I love the question. Mm. And um, so, what uh, makes your heart? What makes me? your heart sing? Oh, my heart sing. Um, <laughs> I've learned that 
I love learning and I'm able to connect with people. My, my mentor taught me that and told me that I'm, I've, I have an ability to connect with people and it's something that I've tried to, 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 to develop and to grow more. And I how, think, did you learn to, how did you learn how to connect with people? I think I spent a lot, funnily enough, I spent a lot of time alone growing up. My, my twin sister always makes fun of me. I used to be very antisocial, I used to stay indoors, play TV and PlayStation and games. And uh, fundamentally what I've found with people who spend a lot of time alone, they know, they're very self-aware. So we're also able to, 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 to gauge and look at other people without actually having engagements and conversations. So being a person who spent a lot of time alone, I'm able to, I know how to, I, I like to understand people and a lot of the time because I know how it feels to be an outsider I know that uh, I also I live with anxiety so um, the one way I do is make people feel welcome there's nothing more important in a new organization for example for someone to welcome you because it can be so intimidating in a new environment and I always put myself uh, in that person's shoe whether it be a, the, the, the smaller dog in the situation a lot of the time I try to see their side of the story I I, I'm fascinated by your journey only because I see and hear a lot of introverts, mm. people who you refer to yourself as antisocial, but a lot of people who are spending time inside their own head, yeah. they are very much attached to themselves. They, are, they do have a strong connection, but they don't usually have a strength in speaking, and that's something that you've learned and developed along the way. Mm. You are easily able to speak with people and you have learned the art of communication by asking questions with curiosity, mm. which then what you say connects people to you and you make them feel very comfortable. You provide this psychologically safe environment to pe for people to lean in, which mm. is what makes you so good at what you do. But then how, how, do, you, how do you stay mindful um, of of living from the inside out and and not isolate yourself because you can't get caught up in yourself because fundamentally humans are very self interested. <laughs> so how do you turn that um, that that introspection and being and and self awareness into something that is able to translate to communicate outwardly because you can really get self involved and get caught up in your head. Okay, so. An introvert will get caught up in their head. Mm. An extrovert will find energy elsewhere. An extrovert will find energy with people, but you find energy inside your head. Mm. And that's where you've developed strategies to yeah. uh, reach out and speak out. Yeah. And that is a very healthy thing. A lot of introverts need to do that because particularly in the generation Z, the younger generation, they have not only are they as smart as you, there are uh, probably mm. about the people that I interact with, there's 40% of them are introverts, but they also tend to overthink, spend too much <laughs> yeah. time in their head. <laughs> yeah. And what about ambiverts? And, and then, because a friend of mine said, dude, I don't really think that you're an extrovert. I think that you like people's uh, being around people. And I realized as much as I'm terrified of and I have a bit of social anxiety, I do enjoy once I'm in a situation because my friend, let's go out. I'm like, no, I don't want to go out. Once I'm out, like, look at you now. Look at you now. You're breaking it down on the dance floor and everyone is looking at you. So he said, maybe I'm an ambivert. Am I, what am I, a chameleon? <laughs> Maybe, okay, so I'm going to come back to ambiversion in a second, yeah. but I want to speak to your social anxiety. I suspect your social anxiety is a result of a fear of 
frivolous conversations, that you don't like group conversations that have more of frivolity, you enjoy and thrive on one-on-one conversations with yeah. an intelligent, rich, rich um fundamental base to it. Am I right? Yeah, I've been blamed of having deep, meaningful conversations during a party. (laughs) (laughs) That's where you thrive. That's what typically what I see with people who are like you, they're high in analytical, they they thrive in complex conversations, and they're introverts. So they tend to think about this stuff a lot. And you really enjoy one on one conversations that are really rich in nature, as opposed to a big group standing around talking about the weather, which is not something that you are comfortable doing. Nah, miss me. I I just, I I appreciate people's time and my own time as well. If we're not going to do things without passion and purpose, let's rather leave it. But um, (laughs) can you just explain the ambivert uh, aspect of things beyond me and my own self-analysis? Well, here's what I do know is that there is a very big research study going on at a Wharton. Adam Grant is the professor that leads the ambiversion discussion. He has a TED talk that is extraordinary. And ambiverts, what he says about ambiverts are that they are the people that change the world and how like yourself, like myself, we have learned to speak, but we do have thoughts that are uh, based in passion and purpose. And that's what drives us forward. And the ambiverts are the ones that are able to speak about it in an inspiring way. And what is an empath? I know all of these definitions are very confusing. Uh, what, what is an empath and how does it differ from, from that discussion about ambiversion? You know, that's a very good question. I don't spend a lot of time speaking about empathy or empath. I stay more on a a different psychological um, categories. Mm-hmm. I-, I would say that people that are empathetic are very high and aware in that broad external awareness that they are able to read the body language of other people wow. and pick up on the cues of other people. And then they're also high in support and affection. So they express their love. They are rooted in love and caring and so not only are they able to pick up on the energies of the people in the room, but they also care a lot, and that thereby makes them empathetic. I always say that um, it takes a lot of courage to be empathetic. Not everyone can be empathetic, and I've, I've, be, I've been a bleeding heart situation, and I said, I said, my, what's wrong with the world? Why aren't people helping each other? And one of my friends made me realize, like, hold on, relax. People have gone through different experiences, and um, they've turned out a specific way. Some people are survivalists. Some have been traumatized. Some people lack trust when it comes to human interactions, and they need to develop it once again. But fundamentally, I learned something. As much as you want to be virtuous and do all these nice, lovely things that make you feel good about yourself, it takes a level of courage to have empathy. Well, what they say about leadership is it is lonely. And that's what you have to be prepared for. Mm. If you are somebody who truly believes, because people believe what you believe, Mm. and if you believe and you have the courage to stand up, and shout it from the rooftops what you believe in, then ultimately you can build an army that will help you get to where you want to get to. And I think that that's what stands in a lot of people's way. They, They want to help. And particularly the younger generation have huge hearts. They all want to help each other succeed. And it's figuring out exactly how to do that. And like you say, you have to be brave to stand up 
mm-hmm. and be judged mm-hmm. by people. And not a lot of people are comfortable with that, particularly when they're young and they're still building their foundational confidence. Mm. And how do you, because, you know, we don't, we can't be the best version of ourselves all the time. And you may fail yourself and sometimes think, you know what, I should just give this up. How do you have that honest discussion with yourself and say, you know what, I did not represent myself well and I'm going to do better instead of saying, maybe I am just a terrible person and I'm just pretending? I would answer that question two ways. And I will speak to the second way first. It's about choice. Victor Frankl was somebody who, uh, he was a neuropsychologist or psychiatrist that survived the Holocaust, and he came up with these theories. And I'll simplify it by saying he talks about choice. You have a choice in how you want to look at a problem. You have a choice in how you want to represent yourself. You have a choice in how you choose to express your opinions. And it is so important how I teach it is it is so important to choose positivity, to choose Mm. positivity, not only in how you express yourself to other people, but how you self coach yourself every single day, Mm. how you choose to focus on the good things that you've done instead of some of the things that you may not have done so well today. Mm. And the fascinating thing that I see in the data, there's a self, it's a scale called self-critical. And you'll see a lot of top performers have a very high self-critical score. Mm. And that's when you start to beat yourself up about, I didn't do very well. I'm not winning these competitions or I'm not getting Mm. the promotions at work. Instead, it's about reframing that story and telling yourself a story that is a forward moving conversation in your head. So you choose to have forward-moving conversations and choose to have inside your head and outside of your head with other people. And um, of course, we know that they, you mentioned Oprah used to inspire and say, dare to sing. And it, and uh, I love the analogy used by one U.S., uh, former U.S. Navy uh, commander who talked about making your bed and making your bed is one of the most important functions of your day because that's one task and it leads to another task as well. And of course, if you'd have a bad day, you can come back to a very soft and well-made bed. But uh, can you <laughs> tell us more about getting into the practice of uh, doing at least one thing each day that evokes your soul's expression and making it important enough to make it a habit? How do you get into that exercise? Because you're right about making that choice. You know, I boil it down to one thing. It's about positivity. And it's about, again, back to the forward-moving conversations. What I have found is if you share one compliment, share one compliment to one person, and the most important thing to remember is very often people forget to share one compliment to themselves. Mm -hmm. That you have to start with, the connection to you and then build your confidence and have pride in what you have succeeded at, but also sharing what you see something great about somebody else. Because what I have learned is that that simple belief, Mm. even though it may be a minute long, that belief that you have in somebody else Mm. may be just the nugget that they need Mm. to propel themselves forward. It may be that that unlocks Mm. what they are able to achieve in life. 
Is unlocking your potential a mystical thing that only successful people go into Tibet and find gurus who someone somehow find this catalyst? Is it that mysterious or is it closer than we t- think? You know, I'll say one thing. It is very hard work and it requires time set aside to actually think about you. What are your strengths? What are you good at? What makes your heart sing? Where do you want to go? Planning where you want to go and how you're going to get there. And it really does require structure in your life. Set aside the 15 minutes or 20 minutes a day that generally people do not spend time on themselves. They spend time helping their children, helping their dogs, going to work, helping other people, but they very often don't help themselves. Mm. And it is, it is about structuring yourself so that mm. you can reach your potential. And here's what I do know is that very few people actually push hard enough to all the way through to the end, that mm. they, they settle at some point in their life. And then that settling will come back in five or 10 years to mm. say, hmm, I'm really not happy. And then you just start the journey again. You're really only a couple of weeks away from mm. finding what makes your heart sing and thereby unlocking your Ooh. potential. It just changes the whole paradigm shift. I, I experienced it when you think that you're only a couple of weeks away from your, from your success. Uh, and it makes me think about motivational speakers. Um, that's why I didn't want to use that term because we, we get suspicious and a lot of people ask, what are motivational speakers paid for? Why can't they do it? And if they were so successful at it, why don't they apply it to their own lives? But um, <laughs> Richard Branson, one of my favorite, um, what would you call it? Um, I used the wrong term last time. I called him a, ph- a philanthropist. I think that's the, yeah, that's the right word. But Richard Branson has the term and he maintains that successful people start before they are ready. What do you think about that? Successful people start to what? They start to follow their rating? They start, successful people start before they are ready. Before, I don't understand the last word. Ready, ready, readiness. Are they ready? Ready before they are ready. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Interesting. Okay, yes. You know, I have to say, I I have seen that and I've seen that a lot. Mm. And I would even say that applies to entrepreneurs as well. They kind of launch with a great idea, but they don't really have clarity. And it all comes down to that. I found that that is the hardest thing. And the most important thing is about clarity. Clarity of who you are also translates into Mm. clarity of what you believe and thereby clarity of what you're speaking to from a motivational perspective that I, when I first started this journey, I would zag all over the place. I would have all of these different thoughts and my story wasn't clear. Mm. It is interesting, though, some people who have clarity then become quite repetitive, which then lacks emotion. Mm. It, but it all comes down to, in order to be successful at inspiring other people, it has to have clarity and it absolutely has to have emotional connection mm. to the communities that you're speaking to. Does hard work and talent guarantee success? And certainly is, hard and certainly hard work and ta- sorry, sorry. let me answer the question first. Sorry I think certainly that. hard work and talent will give you a leg up. Mm. It will give you a start and that start is a bridge to where what could be. And don't we all want to discover what could be? 
Oh, but if I'm good at something, surely I, I should be rewarded. Why, why would someone else, why do people in mediocre positions and um, certain successful people, because someone said something very hurtful to me as an aspiring um, entrepreneur. And they said to me, you know what? Sometimes entrepreneurship chooses people. You don't choose entrepreneurship and it doesn't guarantee success at all. Is excellence rewarded? Should it be rewarded? No, I'll tell you. Excellence, well, it depends. I, I would say I'm excellent in a few areas in life, but I'm certainly not excellent in all of the areas of life that are required to be a successful entrepreneur. Mm. So you can only be good in, you can be good in a slice of business. I am a very good performance coach, but I am not a very good person in the operations department. Mm. And in order for us to thrive and continue to grow, that that excellence requires a leadership and inspiration clarity of the message so that you can gather people around you whose strengths augment your strengths. Mm -hmm. And how can you focus your attention on your intentions? Because you can make promises. Hey, man, listen, uh, we know how to make promises. I'm a, uh, and I'm, a, I'm a writer. So someone said to me, be careful of writers. They can create this whole fantastic girl situation and also grandiose gestures as well. How do we fortify our intentions um, with um, and make sure that they're not just uh, uh, um, just a pipe dream? It's a great question that I see in a lot of creative minds, that a lot of creative minds have a lot of creative ideas, and they struggle to bring those ideas to life. And the answer that I have seen is twofold. One would be structure that when you put structure around your creative ideas, it will allow the world to see your brilliance and hear your brilliance. And how one of the ways that I've successfully done it is, again, I surround myself with people whose strengths are not my strengths, mm. that I am actually not very good at structure, mm. and I need people around me to help propel my message forward, and their strength is structure. But that's where a lot of people with a lot of very creative ideas mm. thrive by connecting with one other person whose strength is building structure. Fair enough. On the line with Nancy J. Spotton, CEO and founder of MPWR, we're talking about what makes your heart sing. And if you are a person who's maybe lost out uh, in one of their passions, you want to ask these questions that will really focus your attention on your passion and find that spark once again you're welcome to comment and uh, sms 31702 or call in on 011-883-0702 so nancy can you tell us a bit more about your organization you're the ceo and founder of mpwr we call it mpower and it's, it's oh there it uh, is. mpower it's it stands for millennial power. That's where we started. Mm. And with, you know, with the millennial generation, they don't use a lot of vowels. So the team that <laughs> created Empower took out all the vowels in the word. <laughs> and you. it really, we help, pe we help people find what makes them great. Mm. And we have the luxury of coaching top performers to not only find what makes them great, but then sing it from the rooftops and share it with the world. And it is a journey, like I said, mm. finding who you are, connection, deep connection to yourself. It takes a lot of work. And we tend to use data that was mm. created for the Navy SEALs. It's a psychometric evaluation that we use. And it gives me insight into 
the personalities or the true strengths of a person in 20 different scales. So it makes my job a little easier as a performance coach Mm. and it helps the talent find joy faster. It's very fascinating process. I love it. I could buy a book like that. Buy, find your joy faster. (laughs) And uh, Nancy, you have 25 (laughs) years of experience in corporate and a master's in leadership and a passion for unlocking the potential of the next generation of leaders. Can you just tell us this fascination? Who are millennials? What is a millennial? And why is there so much attention towards this millennial term? Well, what I do know is I chose to stay in a space of early leadership, people who are earlier in their career, because what we do know is that the people that are leading traditionally right now are not always doing a great job. If you look at the happiness Mm. score of people Mm. in work, it's like 22% of people are happy, which is pretty low. And the root cause of the reason why they are leaving organizations is their leadership. They're not happy with leadership. In fact, 50% of them aren't happy with the leadership. And the reason why is because, like I said, Mm. 10 years in your career until you get trained to be a leader, even though you are promoted to be a vice president, Mm. you actually don't get trained to be a leader until you start to fail, typically. So I thought, well, it is important to code the right habits early because the way the limbic system works, we need to code the right habits early. And that's really where I focus because they are so malleable. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the aggregated data, psychological data of a millennial, Mm -hmm. they actually have a lot of really wonderful strengths Mm -hmm. being they're intelligent. They think out loud. They have a huge heart because they were typically, a lot of them were brought up in families that really cared for them. So It is our opportunity to embrace not only the millennials, but the Gen Zs and set them up for success by Mm. helping them find a true connection to themselves where they fit in the world Mm. in order for us to create a generation of not only leaders, but people who are really happy doing what they're doing. What's the correlation between, we know the whole uh, debate between millennials versus baby boomers, of course. Uh, And I was talking about traditional leadership and I used to, I love the idea and story behind Elon Musk. And if you know famous leaders like um, Steve Jobs as well, they were terrible people. They were terrible individuals. And Mm -hmm. some people may feel that, you know what, Um, geniuses, we call them, we suffer a lot of, um, they call them, what do they call them? Um, But a lot of those aspects um, of geniuses have that have that ill effect to say that you know what you don't really need you millennials or two that's what baby boomers say is that you guys are too sensitive um, but we know that traditional leadership has come into the spotlight with people we're not accepting any more abusive leadership whereas it may have worked in the previous generations it's not palatable right now what is that difference who's right between millennials and the baby boomers who just feel just get along with it man you don't need all this fanciful stuff with the emotions and all that <laughs> I hear that a lot from baby boomers that are in leadership positions that they always say to me I figured it out by myself. They can figure it out by themselves, too. Oh, wow. And, in fact, there is, there is some truth to that in that the baby boomers are higher, typically higher in criticism and anger. Mm. They, they do care a lot, but they're very focused, and they are very different in their level of distractibility. The mm. boomers are very focused, and the 
next mm. generations aren't necessarily as focused. They need stimulation mm. a lot more often. That means that 12 hours sitting at a table doing one task is not as mm, as alluring mm. to mm. the next generation. You need to keep them busier, which means we just need to adapt mm. how we lead the next generation. Because you can't say to an entire generation, now granted, I'm hypothesizing and mm -hmm putting everybody into the same pool, mm -hmm. but you can't say to an entire generation that you're wrong. Mm. The reality is uh, they are distracted. And for whatever reason, phones, noise, etc., mm. they are distracted. So we have to change, modify how we lead them in order to bring out the best in them. Because as leaders of the next generation, it is our job. It's mm. our responsibility and our opportunity to set them up for success. And you're, you're right. If you place a cell phone is a huge distraction. And I work in an office that's predominantly filled with baby boomers. <laughs> and uh, yeah. there is that huge thing about cell phones. As soon as I reach for my cell phone, I can see the eyes on me. So I don't even touch the, my cell phone at work <laughs> to that extent. So to the leaders who are baby boomers and understanding the need for us to always stay connected, because I mean, the digital environment is in fact live. It's constantly happening. The day I saw tweets being live streamed on a news channel, I saw a huge change and a shift. How does the job market, who, who should adjust? Is it the job market or do millennials just need to understand that, hey, I need to just set time apart for my phone and work? Or is there an integrated model to say, hey, they can function while um, we can also give them room and space to answer a message once in a while? Well, I would certainly, I would say, obviously, the answer is integration. You need connection between multi-generational teams. Mm. You both need, and, it, and it, the root is respect. You both have to respect where each other are coming from. Mm. And what I would also say is that the future is fast, that speed mm. is what we are experiencing. Information, if you are not on the cusp of that breaking story, then you will be the one who loses. Mm. If you're the one who doesn't have the phone, who has the information available, that the fact that the uh, decisions are made so much faster in life now and that you need to be connected in order to have all of the information to make those right decisions mm. or to comment and to lean in and take advantage of these small waves of, of energy and insight that come through the day. And mm. that's what I would say that companies really need to embrace the opportunity that the next generation is offering, that they do have the ability to multitask and they do have the ability to respond and think and solve very quickly. And that means that they need to stay connected, mm. that we don't move as slowly. Slothful is not a good business strategy. I like that. And the idea of stimulation, I think it's, 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 it's quite important. And then lastly, if, you, if there are any baby boomers who are listening, who are part uh, of that generation and are just like really trying to, because I know that there are attempts, as you mentioned, but they get frustrated. What is your piece of advice to leaders who are part of the baby boomers and what would you say to inspire them to create a better environment for the organizations? You know what, I, I'm going to come back to what you started with me at the beginning of this show. The solution is easy. It's a simple process. It's a habit of communication. It's the intent of infinite learning that 
you ask questions and listen with curiosity, then you will learn something about what makes that generation great. And then that will connect you respectfully and emotionally to the people within your environment, whether they are a baby boomer themselves or the next generation of Zeds Mm -hmm. or millennials. And asking questions with the intent of hearing and with the intent of curiosity is really the best opportunity to to build those habits, to build that connection. And with that connection, it's fascinating Mm. how much you get out of that relationship. You learn so much from each other Mm. as a result. And what can we learn from Generation Z? I know, I'm sorry, I threatened, I've been threatening to let you go, but Generation Z, what can we learn from them? Who are they? Just maybe if you can quickly sum that up for us. They, they are powerful speakers. They think out loud. And aggregated score, psychological analytical score, is 88%. That means that they are very good at solving complex problems. Hmm. But because they're young, we typically don't ask hmm. a young kid to help solve our problems. But in fact, when we start to ask those junior-level employees about how would you do this, you would be amazed at the insight that they're able to provide Mm. because they are very good at solving complex problems. They speak very effectively and think very effectively out loud, and they have an unencumbered malleability to them. So they are very, very interesting in Mm. how they are able to solve with us. So include them in the conversation, Mm. and you will have a miraculous outcome. Hmm. I suddenly feel threatened, but there's always an opportunity. And within my organization, <laughs> I'm, I'm a millennial, by the way. I feel a bit threatened. It sounds like a newer, better version. <laughs> but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're talking to Nancy J. Spot, CEO and founder of Empower. At, um, Nancy, where can our? I, I, I hope I can talk to you again in future. Especially, I'm interested in the U.S. Navy and the analytical and psychometric tests because a lot of the the the, the things that I found effective in my life and are directly from them. But for our listeners and the benefit of anyone listening to you, where can they stalk you online and find all of this amazing resources that you have? Well, I would connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Nancy J. Spotman. It's spelled S-P-O-T-T-O-N. And on LinkedIn, we can then share conversations and thoughts in a public forum, which I'm all about sharing everything I know, both in research and data and learning. And it's really those forums like LinkedIn or Instagram that I'm able to share everything that I have, I have learned along my journey in dealing with Olympic athletes or dealing with pro athletes or dealing with CEOs. And mm. that's the forum that I share stuff on. So that's the best place to connect with me. Nancy, thank you so much for your time and have a great, is it morning there further? It, is a, it has been a wonderful and very rewarding conversation. I really appreciate it. See you later. All the best.